a bit of a mischievous title for this episode. That was. But let's take a chance. Now, the title bounces off the Idiot's Guide series of books, if you know those, uh, which are for intelligent people. I've got one. The Idiot's Guide to Project Management. Hugely useful. Uh, It's my Bible. For project management, that is. I ignore all the better-sounding titles on project management. Uh, The Idiot's Guide was the one that worked for me. Uh, But you could also... Look, it's ambiguous. You could also read it as this. If you're an African-American and you've come into my episode to find out... You know, what sort of, you know, to get tips on how to choose a DNA test that's right for you, you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, this episode is not really about uh, that. It's about whatever it's about. And that is coming up. Uh, this episode is a process. Just like the whole podcast is a process of me jotting down notes verbally for my own edification. Johannes Brahms used to do that. I studied him for a while ago. I get excited by people. Um, You know, one person at a time. And uh, I was all over Johannes Brahms at one stage, just like Clara Schumann was, by the way, but I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, you're in it for yourself. You know, self, uh, what? Self-enlightenment, you know? Um, Johannes Brahms used to keep a diary uh, and he used to jot down his thoughts, but the diary was not for anyone else. Yeah, but I think it's still extant. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> um, and... Uh, yeah, he used to write down his exercise regime and things like that. Stuff you wouldn't want to know. And how much he admired Clara. <laughs> From afar. Actually, I think he didn't write about that. But we know about it. Yeah, yeah sometimes you can tell when a man's tongue <laughs> is dragging along the ground. Uh, but he's too noble to do anything about it. Uh, but all that aside, um, now Clara Schumann was Robert Schumann's wife. Uh, therein lies the problem. <laughs> uh, uh, Robert Schumann, now look, this has got nothing to do with this episode, I just always a digression. And uh, Robert Schumann, um, well, he ended up with mental health issues, you know. Uh, he's a great composer too, romantic. And uh, uh, Brahms was more classical. Anyway, um, Robert Schumann, at one stage, jumped off a bridge into the Danube. This would be Vienna, I think. And um, the freezing waters of the Danube and almost killed himself. But after that, he was was a nutcase. I think they locked him up. I think they put him away. Uh, but he was a brilliant man. He was a man of the room. Rom- he was a romantic man. 
Yeah, from the Romantic era. Era. Uh, right now, um, but then now, I think it was. Now I'm pretty sure it was. Oh, I get them mixed up. Was it? Was it? Um, one of Brahms's symphonies or piano concertos. Now, my guess is the second piano concerto, but it might have been the first symphony. But it might have been the second piano. I don't know. It might have been the second. No. Hang on. Truck. That's what we used to have to yell when we used to play cricket in the street. Uh, Now, um, one of them. It it starts off, whichever one it is, uh, with uh, an amazing opening sort of stanza of um, anguished music. This is not about this episode at all. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. And, And I like to think, you know, because he was a very noble man. Brahms, and I like to think, and um, that uh, this is the inner torment in Brahms's head because Schumann was his very good friend, and Brahms was a very noble man, and uh, yet there's that tongue dragging on the ground for Schumann's wife, and and then Schumann jumps off a bridge and almost kills himself. Ooh, uh, geez, you'd almost entertain the thought, wouldn't you? And then, but doesn't die. Oh, all right, no, I'm still noble. Um, and then gets put in a lunatic asylum. Oh, uh, oh my God, I better go around and see Clara and see if she's all right. Ah, oh, it gets very complex. And all these complex thoughts, but overall, I think, in the end, when all is said and done, he was a noble man, and I don't think he made a move. I'm pretty sure he didn't make a move. Uh, and um, just lived his whole life as her friend... Oh, it's so romantic. Um, all right, now, uh, what is this episode about? Oh, yeah, I was... Oh, well, how did I get onto Brahms? This episode is a process. Uh, now, uh, you know, of me doing a Brahms, where I make little notes for myself, you know, which do happen to end up in the public domain, but it's not for you. You know, just like Brahms didn't want, really want you to know um, his exercise regime, which wasn't much, by the way. The little fat man. I think he was short. I think he was fat. Uh, he um, and he walked around with his cane. Around. He was famous. He was a celebrity in his time. Beethoven, you know, the first big celebrity. Uh, but Brahms was the next Beethoven, right? And rich. He was rich too. He got rich out of music. Uh, but you know, he wrote diaries for himself where he would jot down thoughts um, that he might use later on for you know for symphonies or things, music, um, but also to expand his mind, improve his mind. And I like that idea. I'm doing a Brahms. Um, Brahms was a lot smarter than me, but I've got one advantage over him. I'm alive. <laughs> In your face, Brahms. Now. So, um, it's, you know, this, an episode like this, which is going to be about African-Americans seeking identity back to Africa via DNA tests. Hmm. Nothing to do with Brahms. Well, of course not. You know, that whole example there was to illustrate that this episode is a process. You know, it's not 
an information sort of site, you know, spot, space, whatever. Um, yeah, a lot of podcasts exist to um, provide information, educate, enlighten, all that sort of stuff, you know. Uh, they're there for you, the listener. This episode is not here for you, the listener. Go away. <laughs> I don't want you. I really don't. And yet this is in the public domain, but I still don't want you. Rack off. <laughs> Once again, I have room to think. They're all gone. Yeah. Now, um, so African-Americans. Well, you know, I've done episodes about you know, theories I've heard which makes sense to me, that you know, if you're an African-American, and, and I don't mean an Ob- Obama, not that sort of African-American, uh, Obama, I, I'm pretty sure, uh, does not descend from slaves. There's two different types of African-American. Obama has an identity back in Africa, a very specific one, and it's back in Kenya. He has dreams of his father and he knows where his father came from and he knows his father was a deadbeat. And that gives you a certain identity when you want to be the president of the United States of America. Um, POTUS. POTUS? POTUS with the mostest. Actually, he was the POTUS with the leastest in the end. Uh, right, now. Um, oh, I loved him. Just kidding. Uh, and I still do. I barrack for him. That was beneath me. It wasn't. If you know my podcast, it wasn't. It was above me. Right. Now, um, African-Americans, and I'm talking about the ones who are descended from slaves. Now, the way that works is I think the white man uh, constructed the idea of whiteness around this time. Uh, to signify, basically, Europeans. And if you weren't from... Look, white meant European, I think, essentially. And if you weren't from Europe, you weren't white, even if you were white. Now, this all, this all uh, pertains to what I'm about to say about African-Americans and DNA and finding your identity via that. Ah, so I think the white man you know, invented the idea of whiteness, and they called it whiteness. I think they should call it should have called it Europeanness, but what it didn't mean was that if you were from a white culture that wasn't European, you weren't white. There's your logic, and you know Japanese people, for example, and a lot of Chinese. You know, there's a lot of white people in the world who weren't from Europe. Now, um, oh, they're not yellow. Ever seen a Japanese person? They're not yellow. Not most of them, as far as I've ever seen. They're just not. But we had to call them something, so... uh, We didn't want to call them white, you know. So, yeah, we found them to be... We decided that they were not white. We had to decide that they were not white first. And then we had to find something not white about them. And we saw a kind of... They were 1% off white. A kind of slightly... What, tallowy... Uh, quality to their skin, you know, a slightly yellowish, uh, not even yellow really, is it? 
Okay, but we saw it. We, we, we looked hard. We squinted our eyes and made like turning Japanese. And we could see just a hint of yellowness. And we said, ah, not white. Now, there were heaps of people, of course, back in Europe who were not just 1% off-white, but were 10% off-white, but they were still white because we decided that in advance. Now, all I'm doing there is uh, attempting to demonstrate that I think um, an idea of whiteness was created there and that it was, uh, it meant Europeanness. You know, so we had a white Australia policy, for example, and it wasn't about white people. It was about keeping Australia European, and there were all sorts of reasons for that. I mean, um, look, it was racist, but it was it was lo- it was living conditions, it was wages, it was a lot of things because Europeans at that time had a higher quality of living and better wages, and. Every nation, or every nation, you know, there's a lot of places in the world that weren't nations, but every other place in the world had a lower standard of living, and they wanted to keep Australia European, with high wages and all that sort of stuff, you know, re- European in style. Alas, they called it a white Australia policy, this thing that would keep Australia more European, and especially not Chinese, not really anything to do with Africans. Look, they didn't want Africans here, but... Um, it wasn't much to do with Africans. It was more to do with the yellow peril. That 1%. But it wasn't about that 1% skin pigmentation. You know, a lot of people just think that the white Australia policy was a skin thing. But it was more about living conditions and wages and all that sort of stuff, you know. Look, don't take it from me. I've listened to professors and they know all. You know, those guys are not there to go through a process when they're lecturing you. Those guys are there to inform you. And I'm not here to inform you. I'm here to go through a process for myself, not for you. You know, professors are there for you. I'm not. I'm here for me. Now, um, so, you know, we created this idea of what a white is. Uh, Now, African-Americans first, I think... Uh, were, the, were the ones who said, all right, if you're whites, then we're blacks, no matter what colour we are. Yeah. And, and people complain about that these days a lot and say, you're not black, you're brown. And they said, no, no, you, you made the rules. You know, this is what I would say if I was an African. And I'd, I'd say it in a more jive-talking way. Most likely it's true. Most likely. I would say, you make rules. You made the rules. You know, you... You lie in that bed of rules <laughs> or something like that. I can't talk jive talk. All right. Now, um, so we have to wear that now. Uh, Africans see themselves as... A lot of African-Americans, sorry, see themselves as black. You know, black and proud. Black power. Hmm. Um, what was that movie? Uh, I will never remember it. I never saw it. Oh, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Black Panther movement in the 60s. Um, Okay, uh, Malcolm X. I remember all that because I was in the 60s. I was there. I was two. Now, um, so, black. Yeah, black and proud. All right, so African-Americans. Now, the interesting thing about African-Americans, and I think they picked this one up uh, a lot, you know, because they were thrown in. They actually um, heard it the most. We are the whites, you are the blacks. 
Uh, now, after the white people, no, we'll get to the DNA. After the white people, um, you know, made this rule, if you like, that uh, white means European, and you're all not Europeans. Now, it would appear that African Americans got this idea going. That they, all right, if you're white, we're black and we're proud. Okay, now, someone like Barack Obama, you know, is Kenyan and proud. He has dreams of his father. Look, he's proud of his um, European background too. He loves his mum. There's no doubt about that, you know. Look, he wasn't really, he, he didn't play that card as president and he hasn't played it since. Look, there's a reason for that. He, um, he's hanging on Richard Branson's yacht and with Meryl Streep and Paul McCartney, they're all sitting there. Uh, Beyonce's there. Beyonce, whatever her name is. Uh, and Kanye, nah, he didn't come. He's not invited. <laughs> uh, who else would be on that yacht? JZ. Look, I have to say Jay-Z. Respect what people call themselves and call them by that name. You know, This is why I always say Haydn and not Hayden. I'm Bach. I spit when I do that and I never say Bach. That's actually a lie. I actually say Bach and Hayden and Wagner. I don't say Wagner. I'm not going to go walking around like a Nazi saying Wagner. I say Wagner. So so if I say Wagner and Hayden and Bach, well, surely I should say JZ. No, you must say JZ because it sounds ridiculous. (laughs) I don't care. Anyway, JZ's on that yacht too. Now, the interesting thing about African-Americans, as far as I have been able to enlighten myself, not you, is that uh, they had their local identities. I'm talking the slaves, not Barack. They had their local identities erased. Hmm. You know, where they came from in Africa. They were, somewhere, they were from somewhere in Africa, but on the ship over to America. Uh, you know, they didn't come to Australia. Who would? Um, oh, one did. He went to Jamaica and then he came to Australia uh, and he participated in the Mile Street Massacre and slaughtered Aborigines. Oh, look, that's just one guy. He's not representative. Most African slaves were beautiful people. Uh, he hung for that, though, that guy. Uh, that African guy who went to Jamaica and then came across to uh, Australia and slaughtered Aborigines. Look, he was part... Look, he was just trying to curry favour with his European friends. So uh, they... uh, It was the only way to be part of the group, you know, because they were all out Aborigine hunting. So what else are you going to do if you're trying to fit in? So he uh, he went the machete as well. Yeah, uh, oh, three, two or three of them hung, hanged, hanged. Right now, um, African Americans on the ship over to America, uh, they were slotted in like sardines, and most of them died. I bet. I have no idea of the stats on that. It's not relevant to this podcast. It was shocking, absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, the ones who survived became the African-Americans that we have in America today. Now, um, but the thing is, when they got there, they didn't know where they had come from. Well, they, uh, did they? Oh, the first ones would have, wouldn't they? But it all got mixed up one way or another after a couple of generations anyway. Oh, look, probably what happened was the very first, you know, the first generation African-Americans would have known exactly what village they came from, I bet, but they were slaves owned by the master. Now, let me think about this because this is a process, this uh, podcast. I am not an authority on any of this and that's not what this episode's about. If you want informative stuff, go somewhere else. You're watching my mind whirring here. Now, that's all you're watching. You're not hearing things of use to you. You're hearing my mind whirring for its own purposes. The gears. Okay. Now, they were slaves. That's mean, that means their children were not owned by themselves. Like, a, you know, if you had a mother and a father of a baby, a little baby, the baby was owned by the white master. Okay, now that baby yeah, may not even be able to stick with the mother and the father. You most likely know more about all the uh, mechanisms and you know, shenanigans that went along with that, but I bet you that um, either babies or maybe, you know, it might be a situation like, you know, what we do with calves, you know, where you let them get to a certain age and then, you know, you might sell them off. You know, but I'm pretty sure the children did not even carry their parents' names because by carrying your parents' name, um, that signifies a connection with your parents. And the whole idea of slavery is your only connection is with your master. So what happened if there was um, a master called, you know, Robert Johnson... (laughs) That's the first one that came to mind. He's actually a blue blues singer. Um, so if 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 um, you know you were given a name by the master, were you Robert? Yeah, was Johnson the name of your master? I don't know how all that worked, but a lot of African Americans seem to have very European names. You would know why that is and how that came to be better than I do. Right, we'll get to the DNA now. Um, so I think it has come to pass or did come to pass that fairly soon anyone who was black because the whites were calling them blacks by then and, and they were getting a bit brown sometimes but they're still black not they were still black, black they still black actually as far as jive talking goes or African American speaking style things you know like you hear in rap um, a lot of people are, you know, I'm a very big Little Richard fan, for example, and he's able to flip it and switch it. He's able to speak in the European way, and he's able to do jive-talking American as well. Yes, I've caught him in some interviews, and he's speaking with exactly the same accent as Elvis, you know, but then I've caught him at other times, and um, he sounds like he's never left the Bronx. Well, he came from Macon, Georgia, down south. Right, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, so, um, they call it code switching. I think there's some linguists all that are all over this, a little bit like I was all over Brahms in classic sort of 
Clara style. What a horrible thought. Now, because he was fat. Now, um, now code switching is where African Americans kind of can play European style when they want to, but then flip to another accent when they're just, you know, among themselves. All right, that's unsurprising. I can do that too. I can speak like an Australian. Oh, I don't even know if I can anymore. I used to have much more of an Australian accent when I was young. Um, we've had it bashed out of us somehow. A lot of us Australians, a lot of we Australians, have had this bashed out of us. You know, this um, the way we used to speak. I, I'm I haven't got I haven't got any recordings of me when I was fourteen, uh, but I'll, I'll bet I didn't speak like I do now at age fifty six when I was fourteen. Actually, I did a little bit, and that's why all the kids used to bully me uh, because I sounded funny. I don't even know why that is. Uh, you know, I grew up in a country town. Um, had no other influences. I think I might just be a prat. Right, but this is not about me, remember? Process, not information. Right, now we get back to it. <sighs> African Americans lost their identity. I think that's fair, a fair general, sweeping generalisation um, to make um, as they became slaves. Yeah, within a generation or two. Right. Now, um, unsurprisingly, a lot of African Americans in this day and age want to connect back to their ancestry or connect back to Africa. Now, you got now there seems to be a smorgasbord of options when it comes to that. I think a lot of African Americans, um, especially ones who feel that they won't ever be able to pinpoint where they came from. Uh, I think a lot of those guys opt for the idea of going with this white versus black thing and saying, listen, we're just black and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter where we came from. Now, if they happen to have had their genealogy done and all that sort of stuff and records were kept, they probably wouldn't be doing that at a guess. You know, they would know that they came from, what, Zambia or something and say, listen, I'm a Zambian and they would adopt Zambian cultural um, practices now. Even though they've been lost for 200 years, you know, if they found out they were Zambian by extraction, they would say, you know, I feel connect more connected to Zambia than Africa as a whole. But look, I think a lot of African-Americans, not <laughs> um, psychologically, but also philosophically now, say, listen, it's a wrong thing to do to try and pinpoint where you come from in Africa uh, because you don't come from that one place anymore. You are pan-African. You just come from Africa, the continent, you know. And some people, even though DNA tests are available, I think philosophically don't want... I bet don't want to pinpoint where they come from, came from, no, come from, um, because uh, they've got a whole philosophy around this, you know. It would shatter this whole new identity that has come about, this identity of being black, you know, where um, if you're from one tribe in Africa, the other tribe across the hill, the other side of the river, is your brother. Uh, whereas in real life, you know, back in the old times, they probably slaughtered each other as often as they could have. But you, the new identity says no, you know, like a, a good Disney movie. 
Um, a bridge has been built across that river. That is awful. Well, if it is awful, that's the theme of most Disney movies I've been seeing lately. Maleficent, Frozen 2, talking to you. <laughs> um, it's trite. Uh, now, um, so, uh, and I think that's one of the uh, meals available in the smorgasbord one of the one of the options on the menu you know that you can go for this pan-african i am black thing where you are at one with everyone who's on africa and anyone whatever um whatever identity marker can be found in on the continent of africa is your identity you know so listen you could come from you could come from the congo and feel some pride in the construction of the pyramids in Egypt, which have absolutely nothing to do with you, surely. Yeah, maybe a tiny bit, I don't know. But if people from the Congo have much to do with the, the culture that built the pyramids, um, then me, as an Irishman, um, I wrote the Ninth Symphony. Yeah, it goes like that. Actually, Irish people did have some connections with classical music and all that sort of thing. I think it was the marriage of Figaro, actually. And um, there was an Irish... At the very at the premiere performance of Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, or it might have been another um, opera of Mozart's, um, the lead tenor was an Irishman, and I think his name was John Kelly over there in Italy. So, you know, people did move around a little bit in Europe. Maybe they did in Africa too. But by and large, John Kelly didn't write Mozart's, uh, well, obviously, uh, Marriage of Figaro. I don't think he could have, but he was a good singer. And um, I've got Kelly in my ancestry, actually. I really do have. So, John Kelly is my ancestor. QED. I've joined the dots. Uh, My ancestor was the lead tenor... In the original performance, the premiere performance of Marriage of Figaro, and this brings glory upon myself. You know, in the same way that someone in the Congo can be very proud of the Great Pyramid of Cheops or Cheops or whatever it is. Okay. Um... And African-Americans can identify with anything that's happening across the whole continent of Africa in time. Going back in time, that is. Uh, so, and you do find it. You know, people who are clearly, maybe, clearly, maybe, you know, West African, maybe, by extraction, you know, saying we was kings. You know, because they're looking at the pharaohs of ancient, ancient Egypt and they're saying that was me. They come from West Africa. Oh, there could be a connection. And I wrote Mozart's. I am Mozart. He's my great grandfather. Great, 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 great grandfather. Even though I'm a, a bog Irish mech from um, illiterate South West Ireland who couldn't even speak English, let alone Italian. But I wrote it. Hurry up, donkey. Uh, that is, I think, there was an Italian librettist. 
see, I'm cultured for a bog Irishman, uh, who was writing the lyrics, lyrics to Marriage of Figaro, and I think it was Marriage of Figaro, maybe it was one of the other ones. Um, maybe it was that Masonic one, you know, uh, one with triangles all over it, everything was three. Now, um, and Mozart was writing music faster than the guy could write lyrics. And in the margins to this day, I think, uh, Mozart, you, know, you can read Mozart's writing. Hurry up, donkey. <laughs> uh, he was writing that to me. Now, um, so African-Americans are a little bit like that. The glory of Egypt is the glory of Little Richard. Well, Little Richard himself did claim that. You know, Little Richard was a bit of a tag along. On in European culture, uh, we are all God's bouquet. Bouquet? Um, said little Richard. Black, white, yellow, red, green. Oh, I don't think we've got green men. Um, but blue men, that's for sure. Um, bl- no matter what colour you are, said little Richard. He was into pan-worldism, pan-humanity. We are all God's bouquet, no matter what colour we are. Now, little Richard, ah. Oh, yeah, he was one of the original people unsung hero of um breaking down the barriers uh because what he did there was segregation then and um he used to um get all the crowds in and the white kids loved him too liberation and uh he but the white kids had to uh were up in the yeah the the black kids were down in the stalls i think and the white kids were up in the 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 top bit <laughs> I can't remember what that's called now um and uh, what happened was um little Richard would cry out from the stage and this is in an era of segregation where the white kids were not allowed to meet with the black kids a mix and he would say you are all God's bouquet he was a shaman was little Richard you are all God's bouquet now Rosa Parks was sitting at the back of the bus and came up to the front of the bus I think she refused to sit at the back of the bus and she came up to the front of the bus and that was a big moment. But little Richard, you know, there's some things going down below the surface. You know, Rosa Parks made a big political statement there. But little Richard, he was doing some things on a massive scale, but it was an underground scale and the parents didn't even know about it half the time. What happened is, um, the, you know, he had this song called Long Tall Sally and... Uh, uh, it was actually covered by Pat Boone, who was a good white boy. But Little Richard was a dangerous black boy. So, now, Little Richard wrote it, but Pat Boone covered it. And Little Richard said one time, the children all put Pat Boone's long, tall Sally on top of their bedside tables. But they hid my version under the under the mattress and listened to that one. And he was right. The little kids knew what they liked. Oh, sorry, all the kids are the girls. Oh, and when it comes to Little Richard, the boys especially, um, me too, uh, they liked Little Richard's version and they hated Pat Boone's version, but they bought Pat Boone's version to cover, as a cover. You know, hello, Mum, hello, Dad. I've been listening to Pat Boone's Long Tall Sally, you know, and Pat Boone would go, Long Tall Sally, she's a, you know, and all that sort of stuff, and make it nice, you know. And then, uh, but when Mummy and Daddy were out, the kids would take their Little Richard version out from under the mattress and put that on the record player and turn that up. Wow, you know, long tiles, you know, the whole bit. Wild. Anyway, um, 
not little Richard. He was a pan-human. He was actually probably what you would call today Harry. You know, Richard was the original Harry. He was Harry and Megan together, actually, because he was the king and queen of rock and roll. You know, Elvis was the king of rock and roll. Little Richard was the king and queen of rock and roll. And he was the original Harry and Megan all mixed up. As one, he was God's bouquet himself. Anyway, not him. But Malcolm X, you know, he... uh, He he might have been Black Power. Um, And he did not identify with any specific spot in Africa. Um, He identified with the entire continent. You know, he was a Moor. He was one of the Moors, was Malcolm X, who went and attacked the Spanish a long, long time ago. He was a Carthaginian who attacked Rome. He was descended from Hannibal with the elephants. Um, He was a Zulu. He was the Zulu king. It's a great song, that, by... uh, I forget his name. Uh, Um... Oh, don't worry, I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I had an idea there, but I've lost it. Um, you know, this is the Malcolm X approach. Right. Now, but there are other African-Americans right now. I, I won't be able to finish this thought because I'm already up to 35 minutes. Yeah. So this will just be a fragment in the end, even though it will probably go close to 50 minutes. <sighs> a fragment of an idea. This entire 50-minute episode will be but a fragment of an idea and not a fully thought-out idea. And, you know, that fits in with my theme of my episodes and my podcast as a whole being a process and not um, a source of information for you. Are you still here? (laughs) You shouldn't be. All right. You're not now, surely, after all that crap. (laughs) Right. Now, um, but there are DNA tests and you've got a couple of options, apparently, if you don't want to be a pan-African or a pan-human. Like um, Little Richard, the omnivorous. He calls himself omnivorous. Look, in his time, he did not have a word for it. There was no such thing as a phrase called LGBTQIA. He just said, that's too many letters for me. He said, I've got one. O-M-N-I-V-O-R-O-U-S. Omnivorous. (laughs) Yeah. I'm up for anything. Right. Now, um, but... um, If you're an African-American now, you may want to connect back to some more localised area in Africa looking for your identity. Now, you've got a couple of choices, apparently. Apparently, you've got plenty of choices via DNA. This is only for the people people who don't want to go with Malcolm X. Um, Or that most of the rappers are running around at the moment. Right. And what you do there is you say, no, no, I'm not satisfied with Pan-Africanism. I want to know where I came from. Now, there's a a fair few DNA choices there. You can go with the straight male plus female lineage option, which I've just heard on a BBC episode on um, DNA testing options. Um, It goes on the, the mitochondria. The, the female lineage, you know, the, that part of the genome, um, you know, and you can trace your mother's 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 mother and know where she came from. 
And at the same time, they will tell you where your father's 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 father came from. Dreams of your father's 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 father. I got interrupted there by an incoming phone call from my daughter uh, who wants to know about... Well, actually, for her homework, we are in isolation. Um, but she's uh, learning online via her school, coronavirus. Um, and um, she wants to know what the link, what a link between ISIS and World War I might be. Uh, she comes to me for that stuff because I love that stuff. She knows it. She's happy about that. And um, oh, I waffled on to her about that for about five minutes but gave her nothing specific that she could use, unfortunately, because uh, I couldn't find any link in my head. Um, but, you know, there would have been. Yeah, there's always. Yeah, I, I just went on and on and on about you know this. I thought she said World War Two actually for a second, so I actually made this big connection between you know like the cult of ISIS, you know, and uh, purity and all this sort of thing, you know. Um, you know, I waffled on about that for a while and said, you know, Nazis were a bit like that, you know what I mean, and tried that line. You know, I said, just like, you know, Alexander saw himself as descended from Achilles, you know, Julius Caesar saw himself descended from Venus. Um, you know, people like to see themselves as being the descendants of the gods, you know what I mean? And there was a whole cult around Isis where, you know, uh, people saw themselves as descended from Isis. You know, all these gods of the Mediterranean world, you know, all the way from Ethiopia up to Greece and... Um, sun gods and all this sort of thing you know and right across to egypt and and then across to mesopotamia and yeah you know, up to greece and then of course rome yeah. rome is like a, rome is like a shadow of greek mythology right anyway all that aside you know and yeah i chatted about the cult of isis you know, um and said and said look the nazis were a bit of a cult too you know a cult of arianism you know their perceived idea you know himmler with his bhagavad gita in his pocket and all that sort of stuff in his trench coat as he marched around um and all this sort of thing uh and i said yeah and uh, at the start of ancient rome I, I was still talking to her and all along she couldn't stop me and i was talking about you know all these connections to the nazis Nazis, because I hadn't listened to the question, um, World War One. she was saying, and she was talking about World War Two. and I, I made this brilliant connection, I said, you could write a paragraph about all this, keep going, and she said, but Dad, but Dad, shut up, you know, because I was on a roll, and I said, and, and, you know, like, at uh, the, the start of Christianity, you know, uh, the cult of ISIS was about as big as the... Interrupted again by another incoming phone call, uh, uh, I've lost interest in this episode, <laughs> really have. I was going to say, there's a smorgasbord of options. Uh, via DNA, if you don't want to go into Pan-Africanism, and uh, from what I've heard on the BBC just recently, about an hour ago, um, you know, you can go with this, you know, my mother's 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 mother, mitochondrial line, was from this village, you know, high in the hills in Rwanda. And my father's 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 father was from this other village in Zambia, you know. You can do that, you know. But those two people that you have identified are about one drop in your blood. You know, one sixty-four thousandth of your actual identity. But my feeling is that doesn't matter. Uh, you, if you want to hook your identity into that, go for it. You know, because there was someone on the radio saying, no, this is not right. You shouldn't be able to, you know, because you're not a valid 
Rwandan and you're not a valid Zambian, you know. If, you know, you can't do that. And anyway, you've been gone from there for so long, you know. If you start dressing Zambian or dressing Rwandan, that's nigh on cultural appropriation. The real Zambians and the rural Rwandans are the ones who've been living the culture ever since and you actually have no right. Ah, no right. Look, I would argue that it, do what you want, you know, cultural appropriation. Um, you know, I suppose, you know, these African-Americans who, you know, who do have, you know, I think mitochondria and Y chromosomes uh, do, are able to pinpoint you fairly nicely back to a certain spot. And if you want to hook your identity into that, then I suppose that's um, something you could do and you could put up a fight and say it's not cultural appropriation, this is my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother and I am going to sell um, Zambian-styled textiles throughout America and make a fortune and undercut the Zambian textile export trade because I am a Zambian. You could do that and, you know... Zambian people who've been living their culture all along might say, hey, you know, and actually take you to court. You're Zambian fighting Zambian. Yeah, but the Zambian's saying, no, you are not a Zambian. You are an African-American and you are not one of us. You've just sent me broke because, you know, you've got inside contacts in the African-American community. You are appropriating my culture. You know, and the Rwandans could say the same thing about, you know, their textiles if you want to get into the Rwandan textile industry, fashion and all that sort of stuff. And the Rwandans might complain because you might have chopped them out. You might have chopped them out of the market too there. That sort of thing can happen. But, you know, like if you're not going to make money out of it, maybe it's all right. And if you want to hook your identity into your mother's, 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 mother's name, identity, and your father's, 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 father's uh, then oh, I think it sounds all right. It's your choice. You know, that's one option. But this guy on the radio was saying, oh, I don't think that's valid. Look, whatever you think is valid is valid. If you want to hook your identity into something, you can, I think. You know, there's cultural appropriation problems with it, though. Um... And uh, there's another one where, another type of DNA test, which is very different, which can connect you to all, uh, any relations that are still in Africa today. That's a whole other different kind of DNA test. And that more broad, it's more broad spectrum, I think. You know, because it kind of does a broad sweep of all your DNA. You know, because that other test I just talked about before really just pinpointed two ancestors out of 64,000 or 128,000 or 512,000 or something, you know what I mean? You know, um, it's just one drop of your blood, but it's much more accurate. So, you know, it's a narrow spectrum, but more accurate. And this broad spectrum one, you know, um, it works too. And you might want to pinpoint your identity on that, but that's got some problems because populations shift around and all that sort of stuff, you know. But once again... It's up to, you know, if you, if you can hook your identity into that. Look, there's people with no blood connection to various cultures and societies that connect and become those cultures. You know, B, you know, I'm, um, I'm an Irishman, and if I felt like it, I could become a Zambian within about a year, a total Zambian. Apparently I can anyway from what I've heard about, you know, if you, if you want to identify as something, that's your choice. 
Uh, I've heard that's an ideology that's going around. There are no rules. I'll finish off with that.